This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. Now that a majority of the population has access to cell phone cameras at all times, There's almost nothing that's not caught on video the moment it occurs. Most criminals would rather this not be the case. But in this month's series, Live Streamed Crimes, perpetrators of violent crimes go out of their way to have their crimes recorded for the world to witness in real time. In this episode, a young man frustrated and bored during the COVID lockdown in his state decides to make a name for himself by planning a mass shooting at a public venue. Only through intervention by heroes who sacrificed their own safety for the welfare of others were countless lives saved. This is Chapter 2 of Livestreamed Crimes, The Arizona Mall Shooter. In the spring of 2020, the state of Arizona, like the rest of the country, and soon the world, was in a state of lockdown. The first reports of the infectious virus that would be called COVID-19 were confirmed in January 2020. By March, most of the country had begun taking precautions to contain the spread of the virus. These precautions would start off with simple measures like wearing a mask in public and staying out of crowded places where you couldn't be six feet apart from strangers. But when deaths from COVID-19 began being reported at an alarming rate, local and state governments enacted more drastic measures in order to save lives. The first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Arizona was announced by the Arizona Department of Health Services on January 26, 2020. It was the fifth reported case in the United States. By March 12th, there were nine confirmed cases in Arizona, and on that day, Governor Doug Ducey declared a public health emergency. Within a week, many businesses were ordered to close their doors. These mandatory closures affected gyms, bars, theaters, museums, and other recreational and entertainment businesses. Many restaurants were limited to takeout service only, and schools switched from in-person to online learning. One of the first counties to be placed under COVID lockdown was Maricopa County on March 20, 2020. Maricopa County, located in the south-central part of Arizona, is the most populous county in the state, with almost four and a half million residents. Phoenix and Mesa are two of the largest cities within Maricopa County. On March 30th, Governor Ducey issued a statewide stay-at-home order as a COVID-19 prevention measure. Arizonans were told to stay in their residences and to only leave for essential needs, such as food and medicine. But pressure from some citizens, as well as the impact to the state's economy, spurred the governor to end the stay-at-home order within two months. A partial reopening of businesses began on May 4th, and the stay-at-home order was lifted almost entirely on May 15th. Even eight weeks of confinement in their homes without access to recreational activities and social interaction was a challenge for some citizens. Such a sacrifice by ordinary citizens was unheard of in modern history in most places. This was especially true in the United States, where freedoms are often taken for granted. The unexpected and unparalleled restrictions affected individuals in various ways. 
Some felt the need to keep busy and used the extra time to take up hobbies, adopt a pet, or burn through their book stacks or Netflix lists. Others drank or spent hours on social media. Extroverts, or those with a greater need for social interaction, found themselves the most challenged by the lockdown. So for Arizonans who had missed going out to dinner, meeting with friends, or just shopping in-store rather than online, May 15, 2020 couldn't come fast enough. It was Wednesday evening, May 20th, just five days after businesses were allowed to reopen, and the Westgate Entertainment District Shopping Center in Glendale, Arizona, was filled with people. They were enjoying their newfound freedom to be out again, shopping, eating in restaurants, and generally just enjoying the mild spring evening. The Westgate Mall, as it is more commonly referred to, is located in the city of Glendale, home to approximately 250,000 people. The mall itself contains over 8 million square feet of shopping, dining, entertainment, high-end condominiums, and office space. A popular feature of the mall is Waterdance Plaza, a central hub at the center that features a 60,000-gallon dancing fountain display, which cost nearly $5 million to construct. Just before 7 p.m. on that Wednesday evening, Armando Jr. Hernandez pulled into one of the parking lots that surround the Westgate Mall. Dressed in blue jeans, a gray t-shirt, and with a backwards baseball cap on his head, he appeared to be just another young adult looking for a fun night out. But Hernandez, whose clean-shaven baby face made him appear even younger than his 20 years, had something else planned. Earlier that day, he decided to go catch a flick at the mall's movie theater. But when he called to check on showtimes, he discovered that the theater had not yet reopened. The frustration he'd been feeling for the last two months caused him to turn his attention toward dark thoughts that had occupied his mind for some time. He'd purchased a semi-automatic weapon two months earlier, initially, he'd later say, for protection. But the frustration that had been building up inside of him since he was in his mid-teens now bubbled up to the surface and spurred him to unleash his anger on innocent bystanders and random strangers. As he arrived at the mall, he parked his car in the lot near Dave & Buster's, a chain restaurant known as a family-friendly place where customers could enjoy playing arcade and video games as well as dining. Before exiting his vehicle, Hernandez opened the Snapchat app on his cell phone and recorded the following message. I'm going to be the shooter of Westgate 2020. This is to get back to mean society, so let's get this done. In the video, Hernandez sounds and appears calm as he announces his deadly intent to shoot up the Westgate Mall. He points the camera to the back seat, where an AR-15-style weapon can be seen. After saying, let's get this done, and donning a camouflage face mask, Hernandez uploaded the videos he just recorded to Twitter, before walking towards the mall entrance, holding the weapon at his side. As he entered the mall entrance near the Yard House restaurant, Hernandez began randomly firing his gun in front of him. As the first shots rang out and echoed through the large structure, there was immediate panic and chaos as people began running and ducking for cover. Hernandez's phone rang, and incredibly, he answered it. It was his younger brother, who viewed his Snapchat video soon after it was uploaded. Dude, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? He asked him. Over gunshots, he heard his brother Armando mutter something about the blame being with the government and society. Then the phone disconnected. 
Hernandez's brother immediately called their father to tell him that Armando was shooting up Westgate Mall. His father wasn't sure what to believe, but when his mother heard the news, to her credit, she right away called the police to identify her son as the shooter. Reports of the shooting at Westgate were already being announced over social media and in breaking news reports. At 7.25 p.m., Hernandez live-streamed a video via Snapchat of him walking through the mall firing off rounds in all directions. He also sent the video to a girl he liked. As the gunfire continued, 911 calls started flooding police dispatch centers. Dozens of callers, many panicked, reported a shooter in Westgate Mall. There's a guy going around shooting with an AR-15, one caller reported. Another called in with an even more alarming report. Two people down, he shouted. There were at least two descriptions of the shooter, which differed from each other, and some callers mistakenly reported that multiple shooters were in the mall. A young couple was standing outside of Johnny Rocket's restaurant waiting for a ride when Hernandez approached and fired his weapon at them. 19-year-old Alfredo Jaime saw his girlfriend, 16-year-old Destiny Hernandez, no relation to the shooter, fall to the ground. Her leg had been shattered by a bullet. She began to scream. Jaime would later remember the feeling of unreality that came over him in that moment. Quote, I felt time stop real quick, he recalled. Then I felt the first bullet strike me. Jaime would be shot twice in the chest before the shooter walked past the injured couple, searching for additional victims. Jaime saw blood coming out of his bullet wounds and would later recall, quote, I was just trying to stay alive. At the same time, he was concerned for his girlfriend. I just didn't want to leave her, he said afraid he would die in front of Destiny and be unable to help her. The shooter continued into the parking lot where people began to flee, leaving restaurants and shops to get to their vehicles and away to safety. One woman ran out of the restaurant Bar Louie, only to see the shooter advancing in her direction. She fled into the parking lot, but a bullet pierced her leg in a through-and-through -through wound. She screamed and fell to the ground between two parked cars. To her horror, the shooter continued moving towards her. Trapped and terrified, she tried to appeal to his humanity. Please don't shoot me, she pleaded. Unknown to her, Hernandez was recording the encounter on his cell phone. In it, you can see him pointing his weapon at the woman from just a couple of feet away as she lies injured on the ground. The shooter tells her, society is bullshit. She responds by saying, I have nothing to do with that. You already shot me, dude. society she would later report hearing the shooter mutter under his breath, social madness, social madness. To her great surprise, he did not shoot her again, but simply turned and ran off in another direction. Other witnesses would describe the shooter as calm and methodical. He seemed to enjoy the panicked reactions he was eliciting in the terrified mall-goers. One witness described Hernandez saying, Do you want fries with that? After shooting off another volley of gunfire. A woman celebrating her friend's 21st birthday at the Yard House restaurant and bar heard the shots and took cover. Windows over her head were shattered by bullet holes. Just about five minutes after the first 911 calls started pouring in from the mall, officers arrived on the scene. Hernandez was pacing in the parking lot outside of Dave and Buster's. Thankfully, his gun had jammed and would no longer fire. He was attempting to unjam it when police vehicles rushed towards him with their lights and sirens blaring. When Hernandez saw the police vehicles roll up, 
He immediately dropped the weapon to his side, got on his knees, and held his hands up over his head. Officers descended upon him and kicked the weapon out of his reach. He was ordered to lie on his stomach and his hands were cuffed behind his back. Because some of the 911 callers reported more than one shooter, officers had to ensure that a second person wasn't still a threat inside the mall. They told Hernandez to identify himself and questioned him about a second shooter. He immediately identified himself as Armando Hernandez and for a moment seemed confused about the officer's question regarding another shooter. Is there anybody else with you? The officer shouted. No, sir, just me. Hernandez answered politely. Armando Hernandez brought an AR-15 semi-automatic weapon to the mall with the goal of shooting multiple victims. The AR-15 is designed for speedy reloading of ammunition but unlike a fully automated rifle such as an M16, the trigger must be pulled each time a shot is fired. Hernandez had obtained the weapon in March of 2020, two months earlier. Because he was over the age of 18 and had a clean criminal record, he was able to purchase the weapon legally. Hernandez would confess to officers that he had planned to shoot at least 10 people that day and specifically wanted to target couples. Only luck and heroic actions taken by some individuals that day kept him from carrying out this deadly plan. Three people were shot, and only one, Alfredo Jaime, ended up with life-threatening injuries. A bullet wound had penetrated a lung, and he was rushed to the hospital. He'd lost a lot of blood and needed several transfusions. His lung was badly damaged, but Jaime would survive. The two women who had both been shot in the leg would also survive. Destiny Hernandez would undergo multiple surgeries for injuries to her leg and spend months in physical therapy, strengthening it enough to walk again. Three people, Randy Hammett, his wife Kelly, and their friend Marvin, were relaxing at their home adjacent to the Westgate Entertainment Center when they heard the gunfire. All three, who were members of the Civil Air Patrol, immediately sprang into action and ran towards the mall. They came across Destiny and Alfredo lying injured in front of Johnny Rockets. Kelly, who'd worked as a nurse for over 30 years, rendered aid to Alfredo until the ambulance arrived. Marvin stayed with Destiny, talking with her to keep her calm, while Randy used his belt as a tourniquet on her leg to slow the bleeding. All three would later receive the highest Civil Air Patrol honor, the Silver Medal of Valor. Another active duty member, Air Force Technical Sergeant Michael Walker, was having dinner at the Westgate Mall when the shooting began. He saw people running past the restaurant's front window which to him signaled that the shooter was advancing in that direction. Rushing to the restaurant's front door, Walker began barricading it as the shooter approached a mere 10 or 15 feet away. Walker directed staff and customers still inside the restaurant to take cover in the kitchen. Telling them to barricade the kitchen doors from the inside, he obtained the front door keys from the manager and walked back to the entrance of the restaurant. He first waited for the shooter to walk away from the entrance before he exited the building. He then used the keys to lock the door from the outside. Walker then closed three roll-up doors from the outside as well, all at risk to his own safety. Sergeant Walker, an aviation resource manager for the 309th Fighter Squadron at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona, was credited with saving 28 people from becoming possible victims of the shooter that day. He would be awarded the 2021 Air Force Sergeants Association Heroism Award for his brave actions. 
CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is returning over two weekends in two different cities in 2022. And Once Upon a Crime will be featured on Podcast Row at both events. And I'm really looking forward to meeting you. CrimeCon will be held from April 29th to May 1st in Las Vegas and on June 11th and 12th in London. When you attend CrimeCon, you'll spend the weekend immersing yourself in all things true crime. Get inside the minds of serial killers and psychopaths as you learn from experts in the fields of crime and criminals. Hear from families and survivors of some of the most well-known true crime cases from around the world. Try out your detective skills as you investigate unsolved cases. And of course, meet your favorite true crime podcasters up close and personal to talk all things true crime. You can get all the info and register for CrimeCon Las Vegas at CrimeCon.com. And check out the lineup of guests and podcasters who will be there. More guests are being announced in the run-up to April 29th. This will be year two for CrimeCon UK in London, and I'm so excited to return to the UK. CrimeCon UK is partnered by CBS Reality, the expert-led true crime channel, and limited tickets are on sale now at crimecon.co.uk. You'll hear from top experts who will take you inside some of the UK's most infamous cases. Use my promo code ONCEUPON22 to get 10% off your registration for both events. If you've never been to CrimeCon before, or if you're a returning attendee, these 2022 events are anticipated to be the best ones yet. So don't delay in getting your ticket as they're likely to sell out. And don't forget to use my offer code ONCEUPON22 and come see me on Podcast Row. Nineteen-year-old Armando Jr. Hernandez was arrested outside of the Westgate Entertainment Center after firing a semi-automatic weapon randomly at mall patrons, injuring three. He gave himself up to police officers immediately and was handcuffed and transported to the police station. Once in custody, he gave a two-hour interview to detectives confessing to planning the shooting and his motivations for the crime. Armando Hernandez Jr. was born in Peoria, Arizona and was the oldest of two sons. His parents divorced, and Armando and his brother were living with their father at the time of the shooting. Their mother lived nearby and rushed to the mall when her youngest son called to tell her, quote, Armando's going crazy. Sobbing, she told officers on the scene she had no indication that her son would ever do such a thing and had no idea why he had. By his own admission, Hernandez's home life was good. We were always together, he said of his family. We were always happy, a happy family. I had a wonderful childhood. I absolutely did. But things took a turn for him, according to Hernandez, when he hit his teen years. His classmates bullied and teased him, and girls didn't like him, he said. One classmate described Hernandez as a loner. You just get hit on, you know, like, smacked on face. Being like I've been humiliated here and there for like his past times, you know. Feeling unable to fit in with other kids or find a girlfriend, Hernandez said he spent his time instead on YouTube and other social media apps watching videos. He was particularly interested in videos where the messaging was focused on blaming society, certain groups, and more specifically, the government, for the problems individuals like him faced. Hernandez began to feel a sense of kinship for the first time as he began connecting online with others on forums dedicated to uncovering and discussing government conspiracy theories. If we attempt to understand what led a young man without any obvious violent tendencies to carry out such an extreme act, we have to do a little bit of speculation 
and draw from what we know about the psychology of mass shooters. Hernandez himself admits that he had grown up in a happy middle-class family without any obvious issues that could have led him to become such an angry young man. He had the usual trouble transitioning into his teen years, but his low self-esteem caused him to isolate himself further instead of joining into social groups or seeking out meaningful friendships. This, in turn, gave him the label of loner by his peers, which created for him a self-fulfilling prophecy in which he viewed himself as an outcast and a loser. He turned this frustration at being unpopular and undesired, especially by girls with whom he was attracted to, into anger. Women who had, quote, rejected him and the men they were attracted to became the targets for this anger. The pandemic and the ensuing lockdown caused Hernandez to retreat even further into isolation and gave him little opportunity to have positive and healthy social group interactions. He therefore experienced a sense of belonging and acceptance within online groups dedicated to conspiracy theories. His immersion into this type of belief system was reinforced by his frequent viewing of YouTube videos on the topic. His growing obsession regarding conspiracies was fed by a constant diet of ever more extreme messaging he discovered on YouTube. YouTube's algorithm is designed so that when a viewer watches a video on a certain topic, the site then suggests other videos with similar content to keep viewers on the website. This created the rabbit holes that Hernandez went down as he discovered and then subscribed to channels dedicated to anti-government sentiment, militia groups, mass violence, and incel culture. Hernandez confessed that his plan for the shooting was to target couples who were in his age group. He envied men who had romantic partners and was angry at the women who, in his mind, had rejected him. You wanted 10? You wanted couples. You wanted couples. Because your issues with me, I'd like get a girlfriend? Yes. Why couples? I feel like they make fun of me. Other themselves? Like to humiliate us. Tell me how they make fun of you. Like you see it all around me. Make a tinder deal. Guys like me never get a match. Hernandez also stated that he wanted to shoot at least 10 people that day, and that he self-identified as an incel. The term insult, do you consider yourself an insult? Would you classify yourself as that? See, sir. Basically, yeah. I've invited my friend, Dr. Shoham Das, to explain what the term incel means, what the beliefs are of those who identify themselves as incels, and how some of these individuals use this ideology to justify violence. Hello everybody, my name is Dr. Shaham Das. I'm a consultant forensic psychiatrist based in London, so I assess mentally disordered offenders professionally for a living. The incel movement is a relatively new phenomenon, so it stands for involuntary celibate, and it's basically about a group of aggrieved, angry young men who think that they are at a disadvantage in terms of finding a sexual partner. So they have very misogynistic views and feel entitled to get sex, but they struggle to do it. So they have a very complicated belief system, including that in their minds, about 20% of the most attractive and strongest and athletic and rich men attract about 80% of available women, leaving themselves as part of the 80% that struggle. Incels established that themselves as being unattractive through a range of measurements, including their height and weight and bone structure. So they believe that they're at a genetic disadvantage. This is called the lookism theory. 
Incels believe that they're put at a disadvantage through the action of females through a process called hypergamy. So hypergamy is the belief that women are more sexually selective and have a narrow view of attractiveness and a narrow range of what they find attractive. So they believe that both men and women are ranked in terms of attractiveness, but women intentionally go above their rank for the equivalent male, which leaves the bottom of the pack, including themselves, of males to be left without the ability to find a sexual partner. What I'm describing is the very basics of their whole ideology, but it's actually extremely complicated. They even have their own belief system, their own manifestos and their own terminology. So for example, they believe that most of society, mainstream society, don't believe in their ideology and those people are blue-pilled which is a term that comes from the original Matrix film. Incels, however, believe that they've kind of seen the light and they understand that attractiveness is calculable and dictates success or failure in sexual relationships. So to them, understanding this whole theory is black pill or being black pilled or black pilling. As another example, they call women who they believe to be very superficial and who use attractiveness only in terms of finding a mate, they call them Stacys. And attractive, athletic jock men who are at the top of the tree, who pick the fruits, as it were, of uh, all the sexual availability, they call Chads. I think part of the issue is that this misogynistic kind of ideas have always existed, but what has changed is the internet has given these people a voice and has given them space to talk to each other, to build chat rooms, to build websites, and kind of even to weaponize misogyny. What I mean by that is that there have been a few high profile cases where people who've believed in the incel whole way of life and ideology have gone out to commit very serious offenses. Of course, Armando Junior Hernandez is a prime example of this, and he himself has clearly identified as being incel. And it does seem, whereas on one end of the spectrum, people who identify as incel in this culture just use it as an opportunity to kind of express their opinions and blow off some steam and their frustration at being involuntary celibate. However, on the other end of the spectrum is a much darker presence. So these are the people that are goading strangers to commit these atrocious offences, sometimes even including murder. So if you're interested in any of this in terms of personality structures, psychological processes and mental illness and how it sometimes leads to offending, then you should definitely go and check out my YouTube channel. It's called A Psych for Sore Minds. I use my professional experiences assessing mentally disordered offenders in prisons and in courts and in psychiatric units. And I also give expert evidence for criminal trials as an expert witness. And I use my experiences to make my videos. So I've actually done a video about Jake Davison, who is the first man to commit a mass shooting in the UK for over 10 years. And he actually identified as incel as well. So what he did was absolutely horrific. He killed five random people, including a very young four-year-old girl. Other videos that I've done include the psychology behind domestic violence, behind pathological lying, behind stalking, lots of different areas. And I always highlight my own personal psychoanalysis by explaining high profile cases and dissecting them professionally. Armando Hernandez spent a considerable amount of time viewing videos that supported incel beliefs and ideology and connecting with other men in incel chat rooms. Some of these forums advocated violence against women, including rape and acid attacks, which I covered in last month's series, specifically on episode 233. 
Hernandez confessed to police that he had studied the actions of several mass shooters committing the details of these crimes to memory. Some of the mass shootings he was most impressed by were those that took the lives of multiple victims, including the high school shooting in Parkland, Florida in 2018, in which 17 people were killed, and the 2012 Aurora, Colorado shooting inside the Century 16 movie theater. Twelve people died and 70 were injured as a result of that mass shooting. Hernandez said if he hit, quote, at least 10 people, I think I'll be ready, gain some respect, end quote. Initially, when he purchased the weapon, Hernandez claimed, it was not with the goal of committing a mass shooting, but for protection. Quote, it was actually for my government conspiracies. I decided I'm going to get ready, stock up on water too, start looking for an armed vehicle as well, so we can go survive in the wilderness, end quote. He decided to post the shooting over Snapchat, he told detectives, quote, just because I thought I'd gain some respect. Hernandez said he'd been thinking of committing a mass shooting on and off for two or three years. Yeah, thought about it two, three years ago and went off. And I graduated high school. I was like, ah, it looks, looks like it's not going to be so good. A grand jury indicted Hernandez on 39 counts, including two counts of attempted first-degree murder, 10 counts of aggravated assault, and 15 counts of disorderly conduct. He pleaded not guilty to all the charges. He was booked into the Maricopa County Jail and held on $1 million bond. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Shoham Das, for lending me his expertise for this episode. Make sure to check out his YouTube channel, A Psych for Sore Minds, for more fascinating insights into the minds of criminals. He's covered the Unabomber case and the Lori Vello case, as well as topics like gaslighting. And just recently, he discussed the psychology behind internet trolling. It's really interesting. I've included a link in the show notes. If you like his show, make sure to subscribe to A Psych for Sore Minds on YouTube. As for me, I'll be back next week with the last chapter in the series, Live Streamed Crimes, and I hope you'll join me then. Don't forget to register for CrimeCon 2022. You can attend CrimeCon in Las Vegas April 29th to May 1st or CrimeCon UK in London on June 11th and 12th. While you're there, come and see me on Podcast Row. Please make sure to use my offer code for your tickets, onceupon 22 It helps us pay for travel to see you in person. Thank you. Another way you can help us out is by becoming a Patreon member. Patreon members of Once Upon a Crime get ad-free early release episodes, bonus episodes, sneak peeks of upcoming series topics, and free swag sent to you in the mail. To find out more and sign up, go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. There's a link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Ludlow. My administrative and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. Until next time, be good to one another.